Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us at The Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. The Bread of Life is a program of the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org, you'll find links to our radio archives and those taking you to our overseas ministry. Your support of this broadcast helps us carry this work forward. Now we take you to Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. These last verses of Haggai are quite confusing, for they speak to a very minor figure in Old Testament history as if he were the coming of the Messiah. We'll begin a study today that combines it with the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ at the beginning of the Passion Week, and there we'll try to understand how the Messiah's name can be given to minor characters in God's kingdom. Characters, maybe, like you and me. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, we have this address that comes from the Lord through Haggai to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is a minor figure in the history of the Jews. His name actually means born out of Babylon, not necessarily a great name for a leader. Born in Babylon, born in the place of our captivity. Zerubbabel is appointed by Cyrus the Great to lead a remnant of the Jews back from their captivity in Babylon, being released from their captivity to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the temple that Solomon had built that had been completely destroyed, to rebuild it. Zerubbabel goes back, he goes back to the work and the labor. As they're carrying out that work, they halt for a period of time because they become discouraged. In fact, actually for 14 years after laying the foundation, they fail to continue on in the building of that temple. Haggai shows up. Actually, we understand from the book of Ezra that Zechariah shows up at the same time and these two prophets speak to them to encourage them, exhort them initially, confront them for their lack of continuing the work, to let them begin the work, and then after they begin the work, to encourage them in that work. And this is the last message that's brought to this group of individuals, the last word of encouragement that's brought to them as they're working on building this building. And the message that we just considered last week is a wonderful message that ultimately everything that they're doing is in line with the coming of the Messiah and a great work that God is going to do, that this shaking that's taken place that's allowed them to leave Babylon and return to Jerusalem is not the last shaking that God is going to do among the nations. There's going to be one last final shaking that's going to bring to a conclusive end all of the Gentile powers. And then the Messiah is going to rise up to reign in a rule of peace. That's the message that they'd all received together, and then after that message is given, Haggai turns probably in the same moment before the people to address Zerubbabel and give a message to Zerubbabel. The one thing that the prophecies have been made clear of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah that have accumulated over time is this. This Messiah is going to come, and he's going to bring to an end all that is come against God himself and all of the destructive powers that humans have raised up against God, and he's going to bring to a conclusive end all the powers of the Gentile realm, and he's going to raise up out of David a king to reign forever and ever. So here's the one promise that kind of remains that they know, that this Messiah is going to be someone who has come from the line of the house of David. And along those lines... Zerubbabel matches that requirement. He's not a key figure. He's not an important figure. He's a minor figure. David maybe reigned over five million or more people. Of his own people, five million. And then beyond that, all the other kingdoms that he brought under his reign. Zerubbabel is like a mayor who's ruling over just this little area, 
with maybe 42,000 people. Maybe we said like maybe the size of Caldwell, Idaho. He's not that important or significant a figure. And yet the one thing that's important about Zerubbabel is he does match this requirement that the Messiah must come out of the house of David. He's 16 times removed from David. He's the grandson of the last or the second to the last king to rule in Judah, although that king by the name of Jehoiachin only ruled for three months before he is led away into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. But he does fit that classification. And it's to him that this promise of the last and final overthrow is given. And then these words are pronounced. In that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you. And the language that Haggai uses here is highly charged language because it held an understanding in the mind of all the Jews that the things that he is saying here are specifically directed to the Messiah. So the question has to be asked, and the people had to be asking this, in the middle of this rubble in which they're trying to rebuild a temple and they realize they'll never be able to rebuild it to the stature and state that Solomon had built it. And now before this minor individual, Zerubbabel, could this little-known historical figure who's been given the name born in captivity or Babylon, could he be the one who is the Messiah who would bring peace to all the earth and raise up a kingdom that would last forever and ever? How could this little-known historical figure be the one to do all these things? Let's answer that question. But to do that, let's advance now 500 years from that moment in time in which Haggai pronounces this word to Zerubbabel. Let's go to another day, and on this day, we're in Jerusalem again. This first pronouncement is made as they're building, rebuilding, and laying the foundation for the temple, and Haggai speaks to Zerubbabel. 500 years later now, let's go back to Jerusalem. The temple of Zerubbabel has been built. It actually has been, in a sense, reconstructed by Herod the Great, but in the Jewish mind, this is still called the second temple. This temple still belongs to Zerubbabel, and on this day, Another individual is coming into Jerusalem and it's very clear now that the Jews do not believe that Zerubbabel was the Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah to come. In fact, on this day they believe that he has come and their eyes are all fixed upon him. And we read the account in Luke chapter 19. Luke gives us this odd scene of Jesus of Nazareth entering into Jerusalem to begin his Passion Week. His disciples have stirred up the crowd. They've set him upon a donkey. They've been to cry out at the top of their lungs, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the crowd begins to respond with the phrase, Hosanna. And as we learned, it means save now. They're calling for him to come and be the Messiah and be that one that will throw off all the Gentile powers and raise up his kingdom. And they're in a tumult. Jesus is riding on a donkey and the crowds are ushering him into Jerusalem with praises. And we're actually told that as the Lord Jesus descends the Mount of Olives, coming into Jerusalem to all of this praise, that he begins to weep. It's a strange juxtaposition. Their praise, their rejoicing, his weeping, his crying. And the word there is, is weeping profusely. The Lord's actions have actually been the cause of this. It's not simply because the disciples said, here is the king. It's the things that the Lord Jesus had done. Shortly prior to this, he had raised Lazarus from the dead just in the village that was right by this place. And again, not long before this, he had fed over 5,000 people, multiplying food and feeding them. Now listen, 
If you can feed 5,000 people out of nothing, you can feed an army. If you can raise the dead, your army is unbeatable. It's unresistible. This is the Messiah, and this is his power. Save us now. Unleash your force. And bring your victory to us. And so the people are all rejoicing and they're all singing and crying out. And can you imagine if you're a Roman soldier at that time and you're watching the scene that's taking place before your eyes? You're watching the delirium of the crowd. Actually, Matthew tells us that all of Jerusalem was shaken. It's the word from which we get seismic. There was a great earthquake or eruption throughout all of Jerusalem. And as you're watching, you're seeing the palm trees being stripped naked of their branches. And you're watching them being thrown down before this tumult of activity. And you see the crowd fluctuating as some little donkey with someone on the donkey is being received back and forth. And the crowd keeps making room for him to make his way through the crowd. And you hear their cries and they're shouting and they're singing about a king. The leaders are beside themselves. The Jewish leaders, you can see, are angry in a sort of rage. They think they've lost the day and that Jerusalem has gone over to this individual. And you look to see what is the focal point of all this praises and all this singing and all this excitement, this great human earthquake. And you look again with amazement as you recognize what the focal point is because what you see is almost laughable to a Roman soldier. Their king is a homely looking man in homespun clothes, riding on a young donkey. This is the king the city has shaken over. He looks tired, like he's come to the end of a long journey. And as you look closely, you recognize while all the people are singing praises, he's weeping profusely. <laughs> not the picture of a conqueror, not the picture of some mighty warrior, more humble seemingly, more minor seemingly, less impressive than Zerubbabel himself. And yet this humble and unoppressive figure is coming to Jerusalem as a savior. Not in the moment as a political savior. Not at this moment as a military savior. But as one whose first aim is to free people from the bondage and penalty of their sins. He's coming to bring the kingdom of God's grace and light to them. He has come to set up the kingdom in the hearts of people that will receive him. The kingdom that he will set up upon the earth will wait, will wait for another time and another day. On this day, he seeks to set up a kingdom in their hearts. What's soon going to follow is his arrest. And then there's going to be a sham trial. And then there's going to be a crucifixion. And during his trial, he's not going to deny that he's a king. He's not even going to deny that he's the coming king. He'll say before Pilate's questioning, asking whether he's the king of the Jews... He'll say that this kingdom is not of this world, or my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight. But he does give an interesting addendum to what he says to Pilate. It's found in John chapter 18, verse 36. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds to him and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But... Now, my kingdom is not from here. I just want you to notice first that the Lord Jesus does not deny that he's a king. He does not deny that he has a kingdom. And second, I want you to see that he indicates by his answer that the physical expression of his kingdom upon the earth is not happening at this moment. But he's not denying that that shall not take place as well. Now, my kingdom is not 
from here. I'm a king. At this moment, my servants are not going to fight or I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. Now it's not from here. You want to understand this a little better, you have to understand that before Jesus came before Pilate, he was actually taken before Caiaphas, the high priest. They asked him basically the same kinds of questions. Caiaphas actually abjured the Lord Jesus to declare who he was under an oath. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64. Caiaphas is the high priest, and he says, I put you under oath, or I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming King? Jesus answers him and says unto him, it's as you've said. It's just what you've said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I am the king, and I'm coming to reign and rule, and you'll see it one day. That humble carpenter riding on that young donkey accepted the title of king and acknowledged before earthly rulers of his day that one day he was coming to earth in heavenly power to reign upon that earth and to reign upon an earthly throne. But again, not in this week, not at this time. This week he's finishing the work that was established when the temple was built. That temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and that remnant of Jews some 500 years ago. Jesus had come in this week in order to make the final sacrifice in that temple in order to provide the outward and complete conclusive work of the redemption that was promised and foreshadowed in the temple and all that took place within it. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho and Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.